Welcome, welcome, Freedom Fanatics. My name is Simo. I'm the other half of our Freedom Fanatics podcast. Personally, I'd like to start off by saying it's a pleasure to finally be on, and I look forward to many more of these. Today, Pile and I thought it would be interesting just to have a conversation amongst ourselves, discussing a book which is very important to us, that has really sparked our imagination, or at the very least got us thinking, and we hope it will have the same effect or something similar to you, the listener, as well. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce Pila. Pila, how's it, man? Oh, very well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think uh, that was very well said. Uh, I just thought maybe just to give a bit of a, an additional background uh, to the uh, uh, origin of the podcast. Um, I just thought it would be important for us to record this podcast because if the viewers and listeners will recall, there's an introductory podcast that I recorded with Nicholas Lorimer, uh, uh, during which we discussed the purpose of this podcast and some of the things that I would like to achieve with it. Uh, and during that conversation, I mentioned in passing that there were two books that have been crucially consequential to my life and my, um, my, my ideological development. Um, and one of those books is, of course, the subject of our discussion today, which you will have seen from the title of this podcast is Dostoevsky's Notes from Underground. Um, so I, I mentioned those books because it is true that they've had a profound impact on me. But upon thinking about the conversation that I had with Nicholas Larimer and perhaps, you know, being overcritical myself, um, I realized that actually those two books may be seen as having two contradictory messages ensconced within them. Uh, because on the one hand, Adam Smith in The Theory of Moral Sentiments discusses um, that man is good, inherently good, uh, and that we should not uh, you know, uh, overlook uh, the good side uh, of, of man's nature. And Dostoevsky in Notes from Underground obviously just you know, speaks about the opposite. And so, uh, or at least that's one interpretation of the two books. So I just thought it would be important that we come out and we maybe clarify um, why some of these books have been uh, impactful on me and maybe just also get, you know, uh, some dialogue going with the listeners and the viewers as well. We're very curious to hear what you guys think of not only the book, but uh, not only the development as well, but also how you think we uh, can maybe in future improve the delivery of some of the books that we think are critical uh, for uh, for a liberal audience. But I think I've, I'm waffling for a bit. I just thought I'd maybe also just uh, highlight the structure of this podcast. Um, so it's a very important book, but I don't think people will truly appreciate the importance of the book without really understanding the background and the context in which the book was written. So I thought before we actually discuss the contents of the book and the profound uh, uh, insights that are found within it, we can discuss the background of the book, uh, just talk a little bit about the context in which the book was written, and then we can talk about the context of the book. And then lastly, we'll talk just about the key insights that we have drawn from the book and that we think are crucial for South African audience to maybe take home. Um, but yeah, I think let's maybe touch a little bit on the background of the book just to maybe create the context that we'd like to create uh, before actually diving into the, into the book itself. For sure. Um, so at, at, at the point, this book is written when? 1864 by Fedor Dostoevsky. Um, at, at this point, a lot of the, the thinking of the time, this, the ideas that were sweeping across Western Europe and then finding their way into Russia were the theories behind um, nihilism and rational egoism. So maybe for our listeners who might not know what these theories are, just to give you, I'll give, it's not even my definition, it's straight from Wikipedia. Um, nihilism, for starters, is a family of views in philosophy with, that rejects gen, the generally accepted aspects of human existence, so such as objective truth, um, knowledge, morality, value, and meaning. Um, it, it's sort of a naked meaning, and it, it sort of makes sense once you explain the second one, which is rational egoism which is what um, Dostoevsky is, is in particular 
criticizing throughout the entire book. It, it, it's, it's actually the books in response to the rational egoistic views of Wang Shenzhevsky. So rational egoism, simply put, is the its basic premise is an action is only rational if it pursues one's self-interest. So in a sense, what the rational egoists were pursuing was if we can sort of figure out all of humanity's wants and needs, all their desires, and we figure out a way to produce a life for them that, that produces for them all of these needs, all of these wants taken care of, everyone would live well and in harmony and they will be fulfilled and be happy. But, you know, even with me just saying that, it, it does sound a bit absurd. Does the SD tries to tackle here, Pila? Um, yeah, so um, I, I think maybe just to backtrack just a little bit. Um, so you mentioned Chernyshevsky just a little bit, and I think it's important that we maybe just spend a little bit of time just talking the book that Chernyshevsky wrote. Um, so yeah, you're quite right that um, there were ideas that were developing in Western Europe, particularly in France, um, that found their way into the Russian way of, of life. And of course, Chernyshevsky was uh, foremost among the authors in Russia who took advantage of this uh, uh, sweeping wave of ideas. And, and he wrote a book that's titled, What is to be done. Um, and those who understand the history of Russia will understand the significance of that title, but we'll get to that in a second. So yes, uh, you're right. Uh, Chernyshevsky in his book, What is to be done, discusses essentially uh, rational egoism or uh, rational socialism, um, which uh, is a bit of a uh, oxymoron uh, in one way or another, but uh, be that as it may. So he discusses uh, uh, the, the premises. He lays out the premises for a rational egoism in his book, um, and it's a widely popular book. Uh, it's a book that influences a whole lot of Russian intellectuals, including, but obviously not limited to Vladimir Lenin, who himself wrote a book that was titled What is to be Done? Um, and we, of course, know that Lenin is one of the founding fathers of communism uh, in the Soviet Union. So um, Chernyshevsky's What is to be Done was crucially uh, uh, impactful for uh, Vladimir Lenin and, of course, for, as a result, the foundation of communism. Um, so it is that idea, uh, the idea of the perfectibility of man, to put it in one way, or the idea that man, once their desires have been fulfilled, will cease to act irrationally, um, is essentially the idea that Chernyshevsky and in turn Lenin discusses in his book, uh, What is to be Done. And this is precisely the idea that uh, uh, Dostoevsky is against. You mentioned in brief um, that um, the nihilistic tendency that um, uh, Chernyshevsky writes against um, which seeks to, as it were, oppose and tear down some of the uh, structures that have already existed in Russia, uh, some of which cannot be defended on logical grounds, included in which is, of course, the Orthodox Russian Church, of which Dostoevsky was obviously a very firm uh, believer uh, and adherent of. Um, he was a deeply religious man, and he was offended, to say the very least, by the assertion that um, life would be made better if the things that he draws meaning from were done away with. Um, and so he actually wanted to, at first, write a response to Chernyshevsky's What is to be Done. Um, but he and he didn't end up writing that response. He ended up writing another response, a review, pardon me. But he ended up writing a response, which is obviously the book that's titled uh, Notes from Underground. There's actually a passage in, um, in, in Chernyshevsky's What is to be Done that actually refers to uh, an underground man um, not being able to hear some of these profound ideas, something of that nature. And that's uh, in part uh, where I, Dostoevsky got the idea of obviously naming his book Notes from Underground. Um, and I think this is important that we discuss because um, the contents of the book will only make sense in that context. So Dostoevsky was, for the first time in history, I would say, faced with the real prospect of 
um, a communist uh, set of ideas bubbling under and obviously threatening to overthrow his beloved institutions, uh, some of which, of course, um, we know uh, did uh, come under scrutiny when the Soviet Union was, uh, uh, when it you know, eventually came into life. Um, so that was the context in which the book was written. Uh, and I think it was yeah, just important to maybe talk about that. Um, and maybe just to get into a little bit um, about the book itself. Um, so so the book is, is broken up into two parts. Uh, it's obviously, as we've said, called Notes from Underground. There's part one that discusses the notes from, or, or discusses the life of the underground man. So it's an unnamed character, but I'll read a little bit about that. And then the second part of the book is um, about the events um, of the underground man's life. Um, so I'll just start off by reading a preface to the first part that Dostoevsky himself uh, wrote to the reader, and it reads as follows. The author of the diary and the diary are, of course, imaginary. Nevertheless, it is clear that such persons as the writer of these novels not only may, but positively must exist in our society when we consider the circumstances in the midst of which our society is formed. I have tried to expose to the view of the public more distinctly than is commonly done. One of the characters that in the recent part one of the characters of the recent past, pardon me. He is one of the representatives of a generation still living. In this fragment entitled Underground, the person introduces himself and his views, and, as it were, tries to explain the causes owing to which he has made his appearance and was bound to make his appearance in our midst. In the second fragment, there are added the actual notes of the person concerning certain events in his life. So that's essentially a breakdown of the book by Dostoevsky himself. So the first part of the book is about the underground man, um, an unnamed character. And Simo and I will just chat maybe just a little bit about this character and his personality, just to give you guys a sense of the kind of person that Dostoevsky was writing about here. Yeah, 100 um, percent. So let's get into the underground man himself, the character. So he, he he's built as this very hyper-conscious man. He's very aware of people and their mistakes. He's, he's very aware of his own as well. He's very aware of his own, um, let's say, negative desires, his evils. He's, he's very aware of his, his physical nature. He, he, he's, he's an unattractive man. He refers to himself as an attractive man. He refers to himself as a sick man. He refers to his hyper-consciousness as a sickness in itself. And he finds that it entraps him. Um, he, I, 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 I like to interpret the book as if he's saying it's, it's one of the reasons why he's alienated. It's one of the biggest reasons why he is the underground man. And a little aside, um, the, the underground man, oh, sorry, the, the, the phrase underground, uh, it wasn't exactly, it, it's, it's not the correct translation. It's actually, it should have been when you translate it directly from Russian, it should have been crawl space. So, yeah, but yeah. I mean, they, they, they still make, <laughs> they still make, they still have the same meaning. They still say yeah. the same thing. He, he's this man alienated from society who lives in a crawl, little crawl space. He's very distasteful. He has very evil intentions from time to time. He's, he's very subsumed by his, let's say distasteful character. And these are his confessions. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's true. Uh, and I think you made actually a very crucial um, identification of um, the underground because, um, and, and I think it makes sense. I think there's a passage in the book where he says something about uh, the cracks under the floor and that he had been listening to this one character from under the cracks of the floor. So I do think yeah. that a more accurate translation would be uh, a crawl space rather than an underground. But I do Should think you call that him the crawl man. 
<laughs> yeah. but, but I do think that it still gives off the same meaning um, of a man that has been isolated from society, as you quite rightly say. Um, you also mentioned um, that he was a sick man. Um, and these are, of course, his own confessions. He actually begins um, his note by calling himself a sick man um, who's got a disease in his liver, but who refuses to go to the doctors to go treat this uh, illness just out of spite. So he understands the medical profession and um, their ability to cure him of his ailment, but he purposely chooses not to go there, uh, which I think is very crucial. It's actually the first yeah, crucial bit it, of the book that yeah, actually speaks it's, 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 to... Uh, yeah, yeah, you're saying? So, so, it, it's, it's a great segue, actually, into the whole point of why he's writing the book, you know, yeah. the whole rationality versus irrationality of human beings. 100%. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I was just going on about um, how correct you were in saying or in describing him as a sick man because he describes himself as such in the beginning of the book as well. Um, but he purposely chooses not to go to the doctors. Um, and this is the first uh, hint that we're getting or the first sense that we're getting from him that he's a man who has chosen to isolate himself and who has chosen to purposely go against, um, you know, the uh, the societal uh, uh, beliefs of the time. So he knows that he should be going to the doctor, but he purposely chooses not to. He purposely chooses to suffer because he finds enjoyment in his suffering. Um, and remember um, the crucial book that he is speaking out against, so the crucial argument rather that he's trying to uh, 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 argue against um, is that argument by Chernyshevsky, um, which essentially posits that if everything were were made available to man, man would not choose irrationality when you know a rational option is placed in front of him. But the underground man from the very beginning chooses an irrational option. It's almost a very crude and um, a parody kind of example. But I think Dostoevsky does this purposely to kind of convey the meaning that sometimes human beings will just deliberately go out of their way to choose something irrational. There's actually a very interesting passage in the book, which I which I want to read, which I think really encapsulates not only the core essence of, um, of the book itself, but the core essence of um, you know, the, the, the idea that Dostoevsky actually stands for, not only in this novel, but in all of his uh, five major works. Um, and that passage reads as follows. Now I ask you, what can be expected of man since he is a being endowed with strange qualities? Shower upon him every earthly blessing. Drown him in a sea of happiness so that nothing but bubbles of bliss can be seen on the surface. Give him economic prosperity such that he can have nothing else to do but sleep, eat cakes, and busy himself with the continuation of his species. And even then, out of sheer ingratitude, sheer spite, man would play some nasty trick. He would even risk his cakes and would deliberately desire the most fatal rubbish, the most uneconomical absurdity, simply in order to introduce into all of this positive good sense his fatal fantastic element. It is just his fantastic dreams, his vulgar folly that he will desire to retain, simply in order to prove to himself, as though that was so necessary, that men are still men and not the keys of a piano, which the laws of nature threaten to control so completely that soon one will be able to desire nothing but by the calendar. And that is not all. Even if man really were nothing but a piano key, even if this were proved to him by natural science and mathematics, even then he would not become reasonable, but would purposely do something perverse out of simple ingratitude, simply to gain his point. And if he does not find the means, he will contrive destruction and chaos. He will contrive sufferings of all sorts, only to gain his point. He will launch a curse upon the world, and as only man can curse, it is his privilege, the primary distinction between him and other animals. Maybe by his curse alone, he will attain his object. That is, convince himself that he is a man and not a piano key. And if you say that all this, too, can be calculated and tabulated, chaos and darkness and curses, so that the mere possibility of calculating it all beforehand would stop it all, and reason would reassert itself, then man would purposely go mad in order to rid the reason and gain his point. I believe in it. 
I answer for it, for the whole work of man really seems to consist in nothing but proving to himself every minute of every day that he is a man and not a piano key. It may be by the cost of his skin. It may be by cannibalism. And this being so, can one help being tempted to rejoice that it has not yet come off and that desire still depends on something that we do not know? Which, I mean, aside from it being extremely well-written, is unbelievably powerful. profound it's it's very very powerful, powerful yes um and i think just that first episode in the book that we have described of him calling himself a sick man but refusing to uh find uh aid for his ailment um yep. it, it, it exactly emphasizes the point that he's making here um and i just think it's so beautifully put and i think um if, if ever there were an argument against the rational egoist mentality that was it that was yeah it. yeah 100 percent. and i just want to follow that up and read uh uh an, another, another translation of that same text. So it goes as follows. Indeed, if there, there really is someday discovered a formula for all of our desires and caprices, that is an, expla an explanation of what they depend on, by what laws they arise, how they develop, what they are aiming at in one case and in another, so on. That is a real, that, that there is a real mathematical formula. Then most likely man will at once cease to feel desire. Indeed, he will be certain to. For who would want to choose by rule? Besides, he will he will at once be transformed from a human being into an, into an organ stop or something of the sort. For what is a man without his desires, without free will and without choice, if not a stop in an organ? What do you think? Let us reckon the chances. Can such a thing happen or not? And, you know, my... I, I want to go into like my sort of interpretation of your, the passage you read and the one I have. And it, it's just speaking to, in essence, for me, the individuality of human beings. You know, you want to be your own person. You want to, so you want the triumph of your own will. And, and that's exactly what he's arguing for. You know, he's not necessarily saying people want to be bad or people want to be good. It, it's, it's a sort of, you want to have the choice to do either. Yeah. And you find gratification in both. So, like I said, being a human being is, is at the core. Sorry, being an individual is at the core of being a human being. And virtue and, and things like virtue and morality come from the fact that there is always a choice between good and bad. So if you could only choose good. So if you lived in a world without suffering, without where all, your, all of your material needs were taken care of, you never starved, you were always, you always had a roof over your head. The, what he's trying to suggest is that you wouldn't enjoy that. You you, you wouldn't find the the, the 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 good in all of that. You wouldn't find the good because you don't know what bad is. And the will of a human being will will fight to such an extent that you will go out of your way to find that suffering. You know, mm. if, if if we were to collectively come together and 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 take care of all of our needs in a collectivist society. There's no way that it is fathomable that every human being will just conform. The triumph of one's will will always come out, and 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 it's it's actually I don't I don't want to sort of take away from what he's saying, but I don't think it's a very profound statement. But when you when you do your own observation of reality, it's actually quite prevalent, and you see yeah. this all the time. You know, it's, he's not coming out. It's not rocket science what he's saying. You know. The triumph of one's will is, is is apparent in any walk of life, in, in almost anything you you do, do. And, and rules that contain people people always want to sort of be outsiders from the rules. So uh, it, it's it's a powerful, powerful, powerful 
passage. And my understanding of it all is that what rewards your good decisions is the fact that you could have made poor ones. And the, the converse yeah. is true as well. What rewards your, your poor decisions is the fact that you could have made good ones because you just want to entertain your will. And mm. which is exactly what being a human being is. So what he was then attacking, of course, is the sort of utopian, utopian, utopianist pursuit of the rational egoist, you know, the world mm. where everything is taken care of, where people live like robots and people are living life like a piano key. And he says it, he says it, he says it literally that that is no life at all. It's, it's not yeah. a life that man would want to have. And besides, it's also impossible as we are human deep in what, makes a human being a human being is that we need both prosperity and suffering we need both order and chaos and if we went one of each way it wouldn't end well and yeah that's that's my takeaway as a whole. I, I i could not have said that better i could not have said that better myself um uh, uh, and I think it's, it's spot on. I mean, as you say, it's not rocket science, but I think um, the reason it was important for us to maybe lay out the context in which the book was written is because in that time, in that era, it was rocket science because of the, all the ideas <laughs> that were sweeping across Europe. Uh, it did seem as though um, man was doing bad things simply because man was uh, uh, irrational and that if all of the positives and if all the pleasures were laid before him, he would always choose the pleasures. And Dostoevsky is saying, Maybe not, eh? Maybe not. And just please be careful about that. Um, because if, if, if indeed all of this were actually given to man, who is to say that he would not throw it aside? Uh, who is to say that he would not uh, spit in your face uh, and just do what his will uh, suggests? Uh, I must yes. say, though, uh, yeah, you, you wanted to say something? There's a thought that I have, no, no, but I'll on. pause it until you say uh, what you wanted to say. Well, it, it was just in, in, in addition to the points we've been making. There's another passage where... He, he goes and speaks about reason. So it's, it's again, it's that rationality versus irrationality of human beings. So he's arguing, obviously, for the rationality of what makes a human a human. So this passage reads, reads as follows. You see, gentlemen, reason is an excellent thing. There's no disputing that. But reason is nothing but reason and satisfies only the rational sides of rational side of man's nature. While mm. will is a manis, manifestation of the whole life, that is of the whole human life, including reason and all the impulses. And again, powerful. He, yeah. He's saying exactly what we have said in very lay person, lay, yeah. lay person term. Like, yeah, absolutely. And I think the crucial thing, uh, just uh, something that's coming from uh, onto my mind as you're reading that passage, is that he he's not arguing for a dichotomy. He's not saying that man is either rational or yes. irrational. He's saying that yes. man is both. Um, and in whatever context, um, man will choose whatever he wishes to choose according to his free will. It may be rational, it may be irrational. So I think that was, I think, one of the main uh, misinterpretations of what he was saying. He's not at all saying that um, we should choose free will over uh, rationality no he's saying uh, free will will trump rationality or irrationality and that it's it's, it's yeah. important that human beings have the right to choose and that's that essentially what makes human beings free um but and and, and that is precisely where i tend to have a bit of a confusion with the book so i really like dostoevsky um i really have been uh, profoundly influenced by his work but that's where i think uh, a spanner in, in the works may be thrown in his work because um free will is a very very contested subject so it's not at all apparent that uh, free will exists certainly it's not as apparent as he certainly uh, makes it seem um there are authors among whom uh, and perhaps foremost among whom sam harris um who argues against uh free will um and and i think it's important that we 
we not only make this an echo chamber um, of people who agree or for us to just agree with the ideas that Dostoevsky put out, but to also entertain the fact that there are very, very powerful arguments against what he's saying. Um, and that's actually what caused the tension um, in me, the tension that I laid out in the beginning of this podcast between uh, the sort of Adam Smith theory of moral sentiments kind of view and the Dostoevsky notes from underground uh, kind of view. Because uh, Dostoevsky takes them as certainties. He takes it as an objective uh, fact of life that's given that human beings are uh, free world and that we do have the freedom of the will, which, I mean, I suppose they are good arguments for, but they're also very good arguments against it. And so it's important for us to be wary of uh, both, you know, the, uh, the, the, the options uh, and make sure that we don't just, uh, you know, lean toward the Dostoevskyan view without uh, due skepticism. Um, but yeah, I think it's really important that we uh, perhaps laid this out because as you quite rightly mentioned, he was uh, arguing against the utopian view, um, which I see uh, uh, proliferated across the South African uh, media landscape and the political landscape, I shall say. Uh, we have a lot of political parties, foremost among whom is the EFF, who are saying mm -hmm. uh, inadvertently that if you took away the poverty from human beings in South Africa, if you took away um, all the suffering that man has and you gave them all they wanted, you gave them free education, and you gave them free housing and you gave them free food and you gave them every single thing that would inadvertently solve all of the problems in our society. And Dostoevsky is saying, not so fast, not so fast, because uh, the main, uh, the most important thing about being a human being is that ability to choose between um, what's presented and what you wish to do. And he says yeah. it beautifully in that passage that I read that human beings will if they can't uh, act out of the ordinary whims of society, they will contrive chaos and destruction. He literally yeah. says it word for word. Um, and I think it's really, really important that we, we discuss this book, not only because of the profound insights that are found within it, but also because of the uh, implications that it has. Um, and it, I almost see it as a warning of sorts to society. Um, because that's essentially what happened in the Soviet Union. Um, you know, people were, or they were promised uh, pleasures. They were promised heaven on earth. But of course, we know that uh, you could not have achieved hell if you tried. Um, so it, it, it's an important book um, for the crucial insights that is found. It's actually one of the easiest Dostoevsky books to get a hold of. It's a very, very short read. And so um, people can get through it in one sitting even. Um, and something that I would really, really recommend because of the crucial insights that are found within it. Yeah, like you said, it, it, it's it's a warning. And then because um, the world the, the world, or let's say in particular Russia, didn't heed that warning. I mean, history then becomes, it, it, it's now great for reflection. So uh, I, I like the, the piano keys phrase, you know, because it sort of re, um, refers to, we'd, we'd have to live like robots in order for a, a, a utopia to exist. And I think mm -hmm. that's very, very profound because if you take a look back at how communism has happened, the, in, in a communist state, you'd have to create a society of piano keys, which means any, which means a very, very rigid conformism from your subject under that specific ideology. Now, that might sound okay, but the way you achieve that conformism is actually what I think Dostoevsky, maybe not as blatantly, but he was actually warning us of as well. How you achieve the piano keys that you want is through a, a very, very, very destructive method. It's true. Yeah, it's through, through the barrel of a gun. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He actually says it beautifully in. He actually says it beautifully in a novel of his called Demons, um, which uh, essentially uh, further elaborates on Notes from Underground. Mm. So he has a character in there um, that says, uh, if I'm remembering the, uh, the the words correctly, starting from unlimited freedom, 
I conclude with unlimited despotism. So yes. the idea is that you start with unlimited freedom, you give human beings their freedom, but you put everything in front of them in a kind of utopian state. But in order to maintain that utopian state, you have to be despotic, as you've said. Um, yeah. So I, I think it's a really, really profound uh, idea that I think if the listeners even don't, like you don't necessarily have to agree with it, but I do think that it's something that you have to contend with um, because it's a really, yes. really crucial insight. Yes, and, 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 and history only goes to confirm it. History has only served to confirm it throughout the time, especially with regards to the sort of socialist ideals, because they're the ones that are, I mean, the goal of any socialist state is a utopian society. And mm. you've, had, you've had to see the sacrifices. I mean, there's been so much bloodshed. There's been so much, it, it, the tyranny, that's the word. I've been looking for the word tyranny. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like, it, 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 it's, it's an overdose of order. It's, it's an order of overdose and order. And um, I'd like to quote Jordan Peterson. And I, I, I'm, I'm currently reading his book, um, 12 Rules to Life and an, an Antidote to Chaos. And there was a clip I watched of him where he was being criticized for the title of the book. So I, I, won't, I won't really go into that, but I would like to talk about the chaos and order um, perspective. So he says, if you read the book and you totally get the meaning and you, and you, if you read it, especially the way it was intended for you as the reader, he says, at the end, you will find that the, chaos, the, the, the antidote to chaos is not order. You know, it's, it's not rigidness. It's, it's the ability to balance both. And I think that's what Dostoevsky is, is, is arguing as well, is that you, you, you want to, you, want to you, 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 you desire the triumph of your will as a human being and you want to balance out the sort of negative ones you have the sort of negative desires or at the very least the ability to choose which part you can take is what sort of rewards the part you then take and and, mm. and that's what makes life more fulfilling and in a socialist environment one of the choices would have to go away because we all have to conform under this ideology and we all have to push in one direction because that's the only mm. way it works the the, the book is is, is brilliant in exposing the psychology of it all, which is what many theorists in, in, in any field, it doesn't even have to be existing. What's this thing called? Ex existentialism. Existentialism. English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't only have to be existentialism. It doesn't have to be law. It, 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 it's varied all across and, and it applies everywhere. And, and, and where, where the writers thereof, they're not really cognizant of the, of the psychology of, of, of the fact that it's human beings in the human state and, and human beings, what they, the one thing they'll show you is that they're very human. You know, they're very, very human. We, we, we are here with, 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 there's a lot of good. There's a lot of bad. And what he exposes well is the, the humanity of it all and, and, and how, it's quite unfathomable that a utopia can be achieved with humans. And, and I don't even think he, he has a sort of negative outlook on what humans are. I don't, I'm not even think, I don't even think he's trying to say that humans are irrational. What, what I get from it in total, especially when you touched on free will, is that he's sort of arguing that you want to give humans the choice. And, yeah. 
and in a rather hopeful sense, because I'm a very positive person, so in a rather hopeful sense, you'd like to think they choose the correct decisions, they they live as rationally as possible. But yeah, but you shouldn't be na naive enough choice. to think that they would always choose that option. They will. Uh, absolutely. Um, so, so you were talking about the, um, the the importance of choices. So this is actually an idea that I got from Adam Smith, um, where he says oh, it's, it's obviously the idea of scarcity that what makes something valuable is scarcity. Um, and obviously, the, the, the most scarce of all resources, of course, our time. Um, and what we do with our time is actually an indication of what we find to be more valuable. So the fact that I've chosen to record this podcast with you, knowing that I could have done uh, something else, uh, is what makes uh, the, the decision to have recorded this podcast so consequential. So it's, it's the scarcity of our time. Um, and as a result, uh, us having made a decision during that scarce that, that scarce time that makes the decision so consequential and so valuable. Um, and I just think it's such a powerful book. And I mean, I, well, we could talk all day about it, but I mean, I'm obviously wary of the time that's going now. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, so seeing as we've just discussed now the book itself and people have an idea of what the book is about, and obviously this is not an exhaustive discussion of what um, is contained all, in the all. book. What, what have we so done? Much we've, more. Quoted, we've quoted what, like four quotes? It's yeah. nothing. It's nothing. Yeah. It's 140 pages of brilliance. Yeah. Fully and recommend. Absolutely. And I mean, the, 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 the second part of the book, which we have barely spoken about, but which I think is also encapsulated within some of the ideas that we've expressed here, um, where he has those encounters with um, the officer, um, with uh, the friends, his old school friends at the dinner table, um, and the uh, encounter with the prostitutes, I think really adds to the uh, to, to the depth of the book. And so I would really encourage people to look at that. It's a very, very short read, um, but obviously we won't get through everything because each and every sentence broken down um, has profound significance. And we could spend a lot of time just discussing the first part of the book as we've done. Um, but we don't obviously want to ruin the experience for the reader by, you know, um, just talking about everything that happens in the book. So I would encourage that you, uh, the, the readers to get the book um, and obviously just digest some of the views themselves. Um, and then I think it's important that we not only end it with the theoretical discussion that Dostoevsky has laid out in, in, in Notes from Underground, but also talk about some of the crucial takeaways and the key insights from the book that we have drawn that we think are applicable to a South African audience and try to make it practical to uh, people back home. Um, what is it that you think that uh, South Africans can take away from this book? Well, firstly... The, the psychology of it all, you know, it, it's, it's a great reminder, you know, th that when you process any theory, any theory, just, just remember to be cognizant of the humanity of humans, you know, mm. there's a very important, that's a very important aspect that we tend to neglect or, or, or ignore or just gloss over or take for granted, you know, it's it's human beings that you're designing all these theories for it's 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 all for human beings and then secondly it's it's we've used the word choice a lot but i i just want to make clear to our viewers that by choice we mean the ability to make a decision and by that we mean freedom like this is this is a book it's 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 a plea for freedom in the most simplest sense you know he 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 found a very beautiful and artistic way to articulate his views He's not at any point explaining anything. It's his narration. It's 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 wonderfully written, actually. It's it's the best response to anything I've ever seen. I'll go as far as saying that. So it, it's just it's a plea for freedom. And there's a lot of the, 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 there's a lot of political parties who who like you mentioned earlier who who promise this sort of utopian state and. 
it's it, 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 it's it's it, we hope for our viewers the key takeaway will be is just just withdraw just take a step back and and, and think about it all think about the consequences yeah. of it all um yeah because this yeah. is a great it's a great it's a great warning to uh, against socialism it, it, there's also um the pursuit of a capitalist utopia as well it, it's it's a great warning against I don't want to say too much of something, but it, it, it's it's a great warning of the implications of what trying to build a collectivist society, trying to build a utopia, what that what that actually might entail. And so we, I just hope for the reader, that's what you get out of it. I I, I just hope as a reader, from whatever whether you're far right, far left, or dead center, that the takeaway you get here is that one, the psychology of, of it all is important. So humans are at the center of all of your thinking you've you, you can't neglect that fact and then two it, it's it's a warning it's a plea for freedom and any sort of collectivist view attacks that freedom there will be restrictions on freedom history has proven that there will be and how much do you value your freedom that's my question to you how much do you value your will and how much do you want it to triumph mm. yeah I hasten to add that that does not necessarily mean how much do you value poverty. Um, uh, freedom just simply means your ability to choose what you want. We're not advocating for poverty. We're not saying that it's good that there 100%. are poor people who are out there. We're not saying that they, that it's good that people that there are people who live on the streets. N none of that. We're simply saying that um, given the choice, people will do exactly that. They will choose. Um, and mm -hmm. you, you, you shouldn't interfere with that because maybe that's what makes us human. Maybe that's what we desire more than anything else. He says brilliantly in the book that even when we look at these people who are proponents of this utopian society, um, perhaps what we should take away from their lofty lives as well, because they live pretty lavish lives, is that maybe they just enjoy building the society and not living in it, uh, which I think is a very, very crucial uh, takeaway from the book. Um, I mean, we, we, as I said, we could talk about this the, the the whole day. We could exhaust two hours talking about this because there's so much more. And I think we've done a bit of a disservice to the book by glossing over it so quickly. But I think it was just important to introduce into the uh, public zeitgeist, if you will, um, the idea of this book and perhaps just bring it back to the center where it's supposed to be and actually have conversations about the book. Um, as I mentioned earlier, um, the whole point of this was just to introduce a different kind of podcast to try and introduce uh, some of the uh, uh, books and some of the ideas that have been influential to us, maybe not even influential, some that have just challenged uh, the way we've thought about things and just bring them to the 100%. fore and have this discussion with you, the viewers as well. Um, so we're very keen to hear what you guys think. Just please feel free to leave a comment. Um, just, just tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't like, tell us what other books, if any, you'd like us to talk about. Um, if there are any guests suggest that you think read. would be, yeah absolutely yeah, you also think, as well mm -hmm. and if you think that there are uh, potential guests that you think would help us deliver a better message then please feel free to do so but yeah uh, dude i've really really enjoyed this conversation i think uh, i mean it's sad that we're going to have to cut it off now because you know there's obviously so much more that we can discuss but i think we've done a good enough job to plant the seed um in the mind of the viewers and the listeners and i think that that's good enough for now i'm not sure if you've got any final words no, nothing from my side. Thank you. Cool. Uh, we just really hope that you enjoy this conversation and that you'll engage with it um, on, on, on the social media platforms that we're going to be posting it on. Um, and that, yeah, we can have more discussions, more fruitful discussions like this in the not so distant future. Um, that's me signing off, uh, Simo. I, I leave it to you to close the podcast, my friend. 
this is me signing off as well. We hope whatever day you listen to this episode, you have a great day on that day. Have a great week. Have a great month. And we look forward to you guys returning. Wonderful.